equal justice under law. It's chiseled on the pediment of the U.S. Supreme Court. It's an inviolate principle that our founders held dear. But Attorney General Merrick Garland doesn't give a damn, which means the nation is lucky he was prevented from sitting on the high court in a lifetime appointment. Imagine the damage that Garland might have done there. He doesn't have the strength of character or respect for the rule of law to serve on the Supreme Court. It turns out that Garland is nothing more than a petty political hack who does the bidding of the Democratic Party and its senile leader, Joe Biden, who have weaponized the Department of Justice as a political cudgel to bludgeon their opponents. Sadly, they're succeeding. Attorney, Fox News legal analyst, and two-time New York Times best-selling author. This is The Brief with Greg Jarrett. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. Merrick Garland must have skipped the constitutional law class on the storied concept of equal protection. Or maybe someone punked him by cutting out the 14th Amendment in his con law book. Either way, our attorney general doesn't uphold the law. He holds the law in contempt. The prosecution and conviction of former Trump advisor Steve Bannon is a case in point. Nancy Pelosi's one-sided J6 committee accused him of criminal contempt of Congress when he flipped them the middle finger after being summoned to testify. Naturally, Garland took his marching orders and promptly leveled charges against Bannon for crimes that Democrats are never prosecuted. That's called selective prosecution. It undermines the rule of law and is the favorite tool of authoritarians who operate under the pretense of equal justice. You'll recall that Eric Holder, Obama's unscrupulous attorney general, did exactly what Steve Bannon did, but he was never prosecuted. It was, of course, convenient that he was the attorney general at the time when he told Congress to eat dirt when questioned about his deadly Mexican gun-running fiasco. What, was he going to prosecute himself for contempt? Not a chance. Ignoring the blatant conflict of interest, Holder refused to appoint a neutral special counsel as the law requires. Instead, he kicked it over to his employee, the inspector general, who declined to recommend charging his own boss. Then there was James Clapper, Obama's sleazy director of national intelligence, who lied to Congress about the NSA's massive secret intelligence gathering on tens of millions of Americans. Was Clapper ever prosecuted for perjury or contempt of Congress? No way. Eric Holder saw to it that his pal would face no legal consequences. Clapper, of course, went on to pocket big bucks as a CNN commentator, feeding nonstop disinformation to viewers about the great Russia hoax. Fast forward to Merrick Garland, Biden's DOJ toady. His tenure as attorney general can only be described as disgraceful. 
Does anyone honestly doubt that he is running a protection racket for Hunter Biden and the myriad of enrichment schemes that the president's son committed in selling access to his powerful father in exchange for millions of dollars from foreign entities like China, Russia, and Ukraine? If a Republican's kid did the same thing, he'd be charged with influence peddling, money laundering, foreign lobbying crimes, even racketeering. But good old dad's AG will see to it that it all disappears. How else do you explain a five-year investigation that has produced no charges? Garland's unconscionable decision to treat parents as domestic terrorists because they dared to complain to school boards about the teaching of the dubious critical race theory speaks volumes about the Attorney General's lack of integrity and decency, his order to sick the FBI on moms and dads to silence their dissent constitutes brazen political intimidation. His thuggish abuse of power should turn your stomach. The Banning case was more of the same. It didn't matter to Garland that the subpoena to testify was legally improper because it failed to comply with congressional rules. Pelosi deliberately violated those rules when she rejected the Republican-appointed members, then chose her own, thus rendering the committee illegitimate and its subpoena power invalid under House rules. Merrick Garland skipped that part. Garland also glossed over how Bannon relied on prior Department of Justice opinions that presidential advisors are immune from congressional subpoenas, especially where the president involved has asserted executive privilege, which does, by the way, apply to non-governmental employees who advise a president. Garland took the nutball position that Joe Biden somehow held that privilege in a conversation in which Biden was not a participant. You'd have to smoke some serious ganja to make sense of that one. At trial, the judge neutered Bannon's defense by preventing him from making those very arguments. So Bannon, naturally, subpoenaed his accusers, the J6 committee members who had subpoenaed him. They refused to testify, just as he did. But it was okay for them to defy a subpoena, just not Steve. Here's Bannon after the verdict. I only have one disappointment, and that is the gutless members of that show trial committee, the J6 committee, didn't have the guts to come down here and testify in open court. Bannon was deprived of confronting his accusers, but that didn't seem to bother either the trial judge or Merrick Garland. Maybe they both slept through the same class where the Sixth Amendment was discussed. Garland knew he could gain an easy conviction of Bannon. The game is fixed in D.C. Jurors there hate Donald Trump. 92% voted for Joe Biden in the last election. A scant 5% cast ballots for Trump. Washington jurors who reside in the seat of power are hyper-politicized. It's in the drinking water. If you're a Democrat, you get acquitted. It's a sure thing. You can bet the farm on it. Just ask Greg Craig or Michael Sussman. But if you're a Republican, bring your toothbrush because you're headed for the Hooskow. Just ask Roger Stone or Paul Manafort. 
Carlin didn't care if Bannon's trial was fair or not. That's a pesky, trifling matter. For him, it's all about punishing those deplorable Republicans, hat tip to Hillary, who denied Garland his lifelong dream of wearing a black robe on the high court. Since then, every malevolent move by him has been an act of retribution. He wants his pound of flesh. The truth is that Biden's chronically obtuse and politically ruthless attorney general is an ugly stain on our system of justice. He refused to enforce the law when abortion activists staged profane and threatening protests outside the homes of conservative Supreme Court justices in a flagrant attempt to harass them into reversing their draft opinion in the Dobbs abortion case. Garland wouldn't recognize obstruction of justice if it slapped him upside the head. It's just one more example of how liberal Democrats have bastardized politics into the art of vengeance. Joining me now to talk about it is David Schoen, a veteran criminal defense attorney and longtime civil rights lawyer who was the lead defense attorney for Steve Bannon at trial. David, thanks for being with us. You said after the verdict that this case would absolutely get overturned on appeal. I hope you're right. Uh, I think you're right. Uh, But explain on what basis. Sure. First of all, I'll say this. Every listener, you. first of all, I'll say it's an honor to be on your show. Secondly, I'll say every listener to this podcast ought to hope that it gets overturned on appeal. Here's the main reason. There are many reasons, but here's the main reason. This statute that Steve Bannon was charged with, criminal contempt of Congress, makes it a crime to willfully make default under a subpoena. Now, God only knows what willfully makes default means, and that's that's a question. Anyway, the Justice Department, by the way, has said in an official authoritative opinion that there's a real question if someone relies on executive privilege, whether they can, in not responding to a subpoena, whether they can be said to have willfully not responded. And similarly, they question whether there can be a default, if that's the reason. But putting that aside, it charges willful conduct. In the criminal law, as you well know, Greg, every case requires, other than this one, requires that willful conduct mean that the defendant had some appreciation that he was engaging in wrongful or unlawful or criminal conduct. That's what willfully means. The Supreme Court has said it over and over again. So the judge here relied on a 1961 case called Licavoli, an old uh, contempt of Congress case in which advice of counsel was never raised. It was a mobster case, and the mobster's lawyer told him, just don't show up. So he never showed up. Now, he says he's relying on that case. His hands are bound. He doesn't agree that it's the right standard. But what, it was, what the court held in that case is the reason you don't show up doesn't matter. If you get a subpoena and you don't show up, you're guilty, which really means, thinking about it, if a person's locked up in jail and he gets a subpoena, he doesn't show up. He's guilty under this thing. But let's put it in in today's case. So Bannon gets the subpoena. Bannon's lawyer gets a subpoena. Lawyer's name is Costello. Costello gets in touch with Bannon, tells him he has a subpoena. And soon after that, he gets a telephone call from the lawyer for the president, Justin Clark, a former lawyer for the president, fortunately for the president now. Um, and uh, he says that President Trump is invoking executive privilege uh, with respect to the subpoena for Bannon. Now, as at that time, former President Trump. 
However, the case law is clear that a former president has the right to invoke executive privilege. That's Nixon versus GSA. Justice Kavanaugh just reaffirmed that in a statement he made in the denial of cert in Trump versus Thompson. There is a question about whether a current president can supersede it, but that's not the issue here so far. So Costello tells Bannon, as his lawyer, executive privilege has been invoked. You may not comply with the subpoena. Not you can think about it. Not you can comply partially. You may not apply. And what Costello uh, relies on are certain authoritative writings by the Department of Justice going back to the 50s that say when an executive branch employee or a former executive branch employee uh, has a subpoena from Congress and executive privilege is invoked, that person may not be compelled to go to Congress. Secondly, if the committee refuses to allow the privilege holder's representative to be present during the testimony, the subpoena is completely invalid and unconstitutional. Now, they've raised the issue here. Well, Bannon wasn't a, uh, he was a former employee, but the conversation didn't take place when he was an employee. If you read the rationale of all of the opinions, and there are a dozen or more across every administration, Democrat and Republican, that uphold this principle, it's all based on the sanctity of uh, executive privilege and the concept of separation of powers. It's an institutional privilege so that a president or former president has to have the ability to encourage people to come forward and speak confidentially. And therefore, um, it's it's presumptively valid. When a president or former president invokes privilege, it's presumptively valid. It's not for Congress to determine whether it's valid or how broadly it's to be determined. The and court- let me just jump in right here. Vernon Jordan, famous Washington lawyer, routinely advised presidents, and it was covered by executive privilege, and he wasn't a government employee at the time. So the standard in practice has always been that it applies not just to White House advisors, but to anyone who confidentially advises a president. So as usual, you're right on point, Greg. And the rationale behind that makes perfect sense. If we understand that the president has to be able to speak confidentially, think about it. Let's just take a crazy idea like President Biden decides, well, the economy is not quite where I'd like it to be. And he calls in the CEO of Exxon. He wants to have a confidential conversation. He doesn't want anybody knowing what the CEO of Exxon has said about this Biden economy. That's for sure. And so they try to subpoena CEO of Exxon and he invokes executive privilege. He has to be able to. If he calls in Henry Kissinger for national security issues, he has to be able to have a confidential conversation. And it doesn't turn on that person's employee status. It turns on the importance to the presidency. Um, So, yeah, so that's that. Um, In any event, uh, Costello tells him, for whatever his reasons are, you may not comply. And so what Bannon says through Costello is, I want to comply. So here's what I'm saying saying to you, committee. Work out the privilege with President Trump, or let's go before a judge in a civil enforcement proceeding, like you do all the time, Congress, and let a judge decide whether the privilege is valid, how broad it should be applied, etc. And if that judge tells me to comply, I will comply fully. But none of that was allowed to be presented on the judge's orders during the trial, right? Exactly. In fact, it's a double whammy. Not only was Bannon barred from telling the jury what he responded to and that he wanted to comply and what his reason was, he was prohibited under the jury instructions and otherwise 
Specifically, there was jury instructions saying, you may not consider if Bannon relied on advice of counsel. You may not consider if Bannon believed it was covered by executive privilege. But I say it was a double whammy because the government was allowed to come in and make up a phony reason. They told the jury Bannon didn't comply because Bannon decided he was above the law. That's a lie. Bannon said he wanted to comply with the law. You have to ask the question, I think, why didn't the committee choose the civil enforcement route? Because they don't want Bannon's testimony. They know Bannon's going to say things they don't want to hear. And so now, even now, when privilege has been removed by President Trump and Bannon said, I want to comply, but I'd like to testify publicly, they said, absolutely not. The only way we'll consider it is in secret backdoor private deposition. We'll decide if it'll be made public. You know, uh, it is the position of the White House and Congress that President Biden is the one who now holds the executive privilege over conversations that his predecessor, President Trump, had with advisors. That, that is just insane. It's nonsensical. How can Biden know the content of those conversations if he wasn't a participant? I mean, this seems to be a new doctrine that Joe Biden and the White House have conjured up out of thin air. Do you agree? You are 100% right. It is the complete politicalization of constitutional, fundamental constitutional principles. Think about this. Shame on the Justice Department for what they did in Bannon's case, just to get Bannon. They argued to the jury, the executive privilege was nonsense. Congress ordered him to comply. This is like, they said, this is like telling the referee on a soccer field, you can't tell my son what to do in the game. Congress is not the referee. There's a separation of powers. The courts have clearly said the president's invocation of privilege is presumptively valid. It's not for Congress to decide. And so here you say, well, now the current president can say the former president's conversations were not privileged. There may be certain circumstances in which that can happen. That was implied in Nixon versus GSA. But take a look at what happened in this case. On October 18th, after the subpoena deadline had passed, after Bannon's charged with violating it, President Biden had someone named Jonathan Sue, S-U, write a letter to Mr. Costello saying, well, President Biden has considered the matter and he doesn't believe privilege applies, so Bannon should testify. There's no obstacle. Bannon's lawyer goes to the committee and says, give me a week to study this, to study the new case of Trump versus Thompson, which in part uh, considers this issue. Who has the right to privilege? Give me a week to consider it. They said no. Why? Because they had their contempt referral televised, scheduled for the following day. And so they went forward with it. They never gave a chance, even if President Biden had the right to uh, withdraw the privilege invocation. Under the Sixth Amendment, anybody who's accused of a crime uh, is allowed to confront his accusers. I mean, this is a cherished right in the Bill of Rights. So naturally, uh, you, on behalf of your client, subpoenaed his accusers, the J6 committee members who, and the irony should be lost on no one, had subpoenaed him, uh, which was the entire controversy in this trial. But the J6 committee members refused to honor the subpoena just as uh, Bannon had defied the subpoena. But it's okay for them to defy the subpoena, but not Steve Bannon. Uh, is that also sort of a point of argument that you'll be making on appeal? 
Absolutely. We have the right constitutional right to confrontation, as you mentioned, and the constitutional right to compulsory process to call witnesses on behalf of the defendant and the right to a jury trial, to have a jury consider all the issues. So we subpoenaed the entire committee, each member, based in part, by the way, on some of their public statements, which certainly should not be privileged under any circumstances. Let's get Bannon. Let's make an example out of Bannon and so on. And we subpoenaed House counsel who had been a witness to the FBI and made contradictory statements. He told the FBI, there is no ranking minority member on this committee. And then he filed a paper in the case saying, oh, of course, Liz Cheney is the ranking member in the committee, except Chairman Thompson had already held a press conference saying Liz Cheney is not the ranking member. And so we wanted to ask them about questions like this. We also subpoenaed um, Speaker Pelosi and Steny Hoyer and James Clymer uh, to find out about policy because they made public statements about this. And they submitted an amicus brief on behalf of the government. But the judge quashed the subpoenas for all of these people, as you say, ironically, based on their invocation of the speech or debate clause privilege. So they refused to show up in court hiding behind privilege, but they subpoenaed Bannon. I mean, they subpoenaed. They had Bannon charged criminally for relying on someone else's privilege, the president's privilege, which he had no control over. I would point out each of these members of the committee had the right to voluntarily appear but they refused to. And so we filed a motion to dismiss the case based on being denied their testimony or to exclude the testimony from the staffer who testified in their place. She also had claimed privilege, but then said she would voluntarily testify. So they get to pick and choose. This staffer has no authority to make any decision whatsoever, couldn't answer the questions that are at the heart of the case. And we were denied this testimony. Uh, You know, selective prosecution, and this is certainly a case of selective prosecution, undermines due process of law and equal protection, uh, due process in the 5th and the 14th, equal protection under the 14th Amendment. Uh, Our listeners remember that Eric Holder, Obama's attorney general, did exactly what Steve Bannon did, uh, refused to testify about the deadly Mexican gun running uh, fiasco. Uh, He was never prosecuted for contempt. James Clapper, Obama's DNI, uh, lied to Congress, never prosecuted. Uh, is, Is your client the victim of selective prosecution, which undermines equal protection? Absolutely. He's he's a victim of partisan politics undermining the Constitution, quite frankly. And in the cases you mentioned, for example, Holder, there is a letter from the Justice Department that it is our firm policy not to criminally prosecute under this statute. There are, again, decades of uh, Office of Legal Counsel opinions that are binding on the Department of Justice that say when executive privilege is invoked and is the former or current member of the executive branch, um, then the criminal statute cannot be applied to them. Now, in this case, we tried to put forward the defense of entrapment by estoppel, which means Bannon and his lawyer relied on the official statements from the government that said, we cannot prosecute you over this, given your status and the invocation of executive privilege. And then it becomes a question for the jury to decide, was it reasonable to rely on those opinions? The judge refused to allow that to go to the jury also, saying he didn't find that it met the threshold. He usurped, with all due respect to him, he's a very bright judge, but he usurped the jury's province uh, with that. It was for the jury to determine uh, whether it was reasonable to rely on that. I have the landmark case out of the Second Circuit on entrapment by estoppel. And in that case, the judge refused to let the defense go to the jury 
And the Second Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals reversed him, saying a defendant must be able to put forward his theory of defense and tell his story. The irony, by the way, here is the case that the judge relied on, this Licavoli 1961 case on the question of willfulness and to deny all the defenses, Licavoli testified to the jury, gave the jury his entire defense. The court found you must be able to tell your story, at least, even though it wouldn't instruct the jury on advice of counsel. This judge said, no, you can't put forward any evidence or any argument on it. And I have to say it was a function of the government's motion, government overreaching. They filed a motion to bar every defense in this case. And unfortunately, the judge went for it. Let's talk about getting a fair trial in Washington, D.C., which is a fiction. Uh, Any politically sensationalized case involving a Republican defendant or a conservative defendant or anybody related to Trump is a sure conviction for the Department of Justice. And Garland knew this. Uh, I mean, the game there is fixed because D.C. juries loathe Donald Trump. And I could cite a, a myriad of examples. Democrats like Greg Craig or Michael Sussman, they get acquitted automatically. But if, you know, if you're a Republican, Roger Stone, Paul Manafort, you're dead to rights. Uh, bring your toothbrush. Uh, that was part of the uphill battle you were facing here, wasn't it? Sure. I mean, everybody knows, I think you go into a case like this with a DC <laughs> jury, it's very difficult. You'd like to respect every possible juror, but you know, virtually everyone who was questioned to know anything about January 6th committee and so on, talked about, you know, the importance of their work and their so-called investigation and so on. You know, Greg, I I obviously personally have a problem with that. I've written about this long before these hearings were held and so on, that in my view, the committee is a complete sham from start to finish for similar reasons to the Mueller commission, but essentially because of the conflicts that attended. I believe that if any citizen believes that the events of January 6th were important, then they should demand some committee other than this one to investigate. You have a chairman of this committee making all of these decisions, including the contempt referral, who personally sued President Trump before he became chairman over the events of January 6th and claimed that he personally was injured by President Trump. How can he possibly be heading up a so-called investigation of this? You have Raskin and Schiff who have written books about what happened on January 6th and why it happened. They have personal interests, reputational, maybe financial interests in ensuring that the committee's conclusions are consistent with their books. It's a sham. You can't have that. The American people deserve much better than that. So when people come forward in voir dire for the jury selection and say how important the committee's work is, I question that, you know, and I certainly know where they're coming from. So it's very difficult. But this thing was exacerbated by the fact that the committee decided to hold hearings immediately before Bannon's trial and during the trial. And they did a special on CNN about Bannon Sunday night before the Monday on which the trial began. We filed multiple motions to continue just based on that, saying, Judge, this is one two-month period in the year in which they're holding these public televised hearings run by a television producer, edited as they see fit to edit them for their maximum impact to change the voting, uh, uh, the votes for the fall, as they have said, to try to get more Democratic votes. All of this being presented during this period. There's nothing magical about this period. Simply move the trial two months to avoid the taint. Judge refused to do it. Said we can deal with all of this during the voir dire practice, uh, during the voir dire process. So that's what we were left with. Um, I've read the House rules. Only a validly constituted committee has subpoena power. Uh, Nancy Pelosi violated her own rules. 
by refusing to seat the Republican appointed members, members appointed by uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy. And instead, she rejected them all and appointed her own committee members, including uh, two Republicans who hate Donald Trump. So isn't it true that an illegitimate committee, by necessity under House rules, has no subpoena power, and therefore the Bannon subpoena was invalid? Yes, I think it's invalid for several reasons. That's one. The composition of the committee is one. And of course, as a practical matter, we know why they refused to seat uh, Congressman Jordan and Banks. They wanted a broader investigation into Pelosi's conduct and otherwise. But yes, that's one problem. The other is, another, another is no ranking minority member. This is not a joke. This is a serious requirement. The rules require consultation by the chairman with a ranking minority member for a reason. That person is a buffer to not allow just running roughshod over every witness and so on. The idea, first of all, there is none. As a matter of law, there is no ranking minority member there. Uh, there is Liz Cheney, who's a senior you know, Republican on the committee. As you say, she's the worst Trump hater probably on the committee. If she's not, maybe the other Republican is, but you know, it's tough competition. So she can't act as any kind of buffer in this case, no kind of fair you know, uh, referee even. Um, so that's another problem. And another, the third problem is, they're required to give, as a matter of law, a copy of what's called Rule 3B um, to anybody whose deposition is being taken. And the rules say if you're not given a copy of Rule 3B, which kind of sets out the rights of a deponent and all that, if you're not given a copy of that, then you have no obligation to show up. They didn't give them a copy. What they say now is, well, we were holding a copy for them at the deposition. So they were holding a copy of a rule that you don't have to go to the deposition. If you don't have the rule, they were holding that at the deposition. Makes no sense. So, but, but, you know, of course, well, we have to give deference to Congress and its rules. No, it's not carte blanche deference. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. So, um, broader picture, uh, how's your client doing, Steve Bannon? He's doing fine. Uh, is he optimistic uh, about the appeal? And, you know, I mean, after all, this is a misdemeanor, both counts. Uh, they're not felonies, but he still uh, runs the risk of being sentenced to time in jail. Right. So think about it. They say that the and that purports the statute purports to have a mandatory minimum jail sentence of 30 days under each each count. Can you imagine to, the idea of having a statute in this country, the United States of America, that doesn't require you to know that you did or even believe you did anything illegal, but you could go to jail for that? Of course, that's why the definition of willful is mistaken in this case. We can't, we don't have statutes like that. We don't send, we don't ensnare the innocent, as the Supreme Court has said. We give people notice about what could cause them to go to jail. And if you don't believe you did anything wrongful and a jury so finds, you can't be sent to jail. That's not our system in America. No, it's tragic. David Schoen, veteran criminal defense attorney, longtime civil rights lawyer. Thanks for being with us to talk about the Steve Bannon case. Best of luck to you on your appeal. And that's The Brief. Thanks for joining me. I'm Greg Jarrett.